Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is Ryan Rogers. Ryan. All right, guys, thanks for coming back. I hope that, uh, just as always, if you take anything away from the show to the positive uh, or you have anything that somebody needs to hear, um, share it out to them. Don't be selfish with the information. Today, my guest on the screen here is uh, Sean Waterman. Uh, he's a Marine, a former police officer, uh, Michigan Tobacco Enforcement uh, as a field agent, Marine Scout Sniper. He's had a service and career and continues to uh, try to lift up and bring light to the world through for, through not only his actions in his in his own job but also through social media and through his love for fitness so sean thanks for coming out i know this was kind of impromptu uh you know late notice let's just put it together but i, I we've been looking forward to this uh, uh looking forward to talking to you for some time now so thanks for coming out man yeah no problem ryan i appreciate you uh reaching out and uh being able to get on here so quickly Absolutely. So just a little backstory with Sean, um, and then we're going to go even more uh, uh, further back than that. But uh, we can we continually, uh, as, as we talked offline, we noticed that we ju- were just missing each other uh, at different units that we were in, which is which is common, especially as you stay tight to the community as the community gets older. You're like, dude, I was right behind you everywhere. You, you know what I mean? So uh, we were just talking about that, which is pretty interesting, pretty cool. But um, I like to start it off and take it back to the beginning and just find out, you know, who who is Sean Waterman? Where'd you come from? Uh, siblings, parents in the house, religion in the house, things of that nature. Um, and then we'll spawn conversation off that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Um, man, my, you know, kind of growing up was a little bit all over the place for me in the country. Um, my father always moving, but um, primarily I grew up in Seattle, Washington. I was okay. a Northwestern boy, um, very involved in sports. I got one brother, uh, you know, not so much the sports or the athlete guy. You know, he took uh, – a way smarter guy than me. He's a pilot. So, uh, okay. you know, I always give him some crap for that. Um, you know, always involved in sports, um, you know, later down the road, went to college at Clarion University, played some college basketball there. And, uh, you know, from there, I really didn't, I guess they took an untraditional route into military service to where, um, you know, I tried college out for a bit and I knew I was always going to go into the Marine Corps. I just didn't know when. Mm. So I figured, you know, a uh, year and a half go by second year. Boom. I'm in the Marine Corps just like that. Um, but if you kind of fast forward, I'll make this pretty quick. You know, I'm not going to draw it out at all. Um, go through my Marine Corps service, which we can get back to. Um, you know, after that, I had this huge void. I didn't know really what to do, where to go. Um, went to college at Emory-Riddle University. Um, you and know, which, and from there. What were you studying? I was actually, I was studying business administrative administration at the time because I had no clue. And I said, you know what? This is just a broad spectrum of a degree. It can cover everything. Yep any any direction i really wanted to go um you know and from there i really kind of to plug that void in who i was and what i wanted to do um and carry on service and protection of other people um and went to law enforcement academy down there and then kind of the rest uh stems up here for me being in michigan and being a tobacco enforcement agent for uh the state roger that 
Roger that. And I want to touch into a little bit of all of that. But um, going back a little bit, so you said you have one sibling, and that's a brother, you said? And he's older or younger? He is younger. Younger. So you're first in the birthright. That's right. Absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um, you said heavy into sports growing up. What sports were you heavy into? So I was into football, baseball, basketball, hockey. I mean, if I had a puck or a ball, man, I, I was playing it. I love team sports, big. mainly team yeah, sports. Oh, right? yeah, a- a- absolutely. My dad had a sports career. He was very um, – he was kind of adamant in me uh, developing as a kid some of those leadership characteristics as being in sports. Mm. And um, so I was I, I was constantly busy, you know, whether it was in high school or up till college. Um, that's also something that I think just lost today is just – leadership on kids but that's that's a different topic yeah yeah and i mean it's different but it's the same i mean now our jobs uh as parents are to instill those virtues into our own children and if we're not doing that then like what you said then it's going to change the virtues are going to change and the nation's going to change but uh um i'm i'm very much into that myself and and in my research and my studies and my new book um it's going to come out next year on leadership I have a family portion where I talk about the importance of team building sports and team building in general, um, because like your, your, your siblings are probably the very first people you learn to lead and learn to follow. But outside of that, for me, and I think generally most people team sports is the youngest uh, events that you're going to be doing outside of school, which you don't get too much leadership in school, but there's a lot of following, not too much leadership, right? Uh, opportunity. But once you start getting on the field, um, and you're in a team sport and I love that. I, I actually coach now. I coach all my kids. It's, it's like five nights a week at the ball field, trying to hop oh. diamond to diamond from <laughs> softball to baseball. Um, tonight is baseball. Last night was softball, but I always bring the kids in and, uh, you know, we do everything together. I make them count just like uh, repetitive counts in the Marine Corps. One, one, two, two. And yeah, at first yeah. it like took them some time and I'm like, hey, why do you think we do this? And I try to explain it to them. Now they're eight years old, you know, little girls, they're, they're interested right. in other things. But from a very early, you know, age and, and especially on my teams, I say, hey, we do everything together. We count together, we stretch together, we warm up together, we practice together, we win together, we lose together. That is a team. And I make sure that's imperative on them because my coaches did that to me and it is imperative. And then I explain to the parents in my expectation meeting that, hey, coachable kids will become employable adults. 100%. Uncoachable kids have a harder transition to having a boss like that and they're going to have a boss, right? So um, so that's great. I love the fact that you're in sports. I love, I, it's like an appreciation I have for my parents because now I know how hard it is, but I know how necessary it is. Right. So, uh, yeah, got to keep passing that down. But, um, okay. So going on from there, uh, you went to college, right? So you get through high school, you go to college. Was there an early memory that you can come up with or the earliest time when you started thinking that maybe you want to go, go, you know, join the Marine Corps, join a service branch like prior to college? Absolutely. I, I mean, I was actually, I remember the day actually in high school I wanted to do it. I was sitting in a, I think it was a regional final game in basketball, get my ankles all taped up. And one of my coaches comes over to me and he looks at me and he says, you know, cause I was, I was a very regimented person. I'd be at practice at this time. I would even self-discipline my sometimes, you know, myself sometimes if I was late, you know, mm-hmm. um, very, very disciplined team. And, uh, 
you know, he looked at me and he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, out of nowhere. He just asked me during a regional final game. I think it was to calm my nerves or something because we were all pretty nervous. Right. You know, you know we, have, we haven't been on this stage before. Yeah. And I said, I mean, yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. He goes, you know, you, you almost you almost look like you belong in the Army. You know, <laughs> now because it's the Army. I'm like, yeah, now yeah. we're a little bit more hardcore yeah. than that coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I started to think about it. And uh, I actually um, – you know, knew uh, just from a, there was an aptitude test years, year prior to that that said I was supposed to actually be in law enforcement. You know, those weird tests you take. Yeah. Yeah. You like know, personality test. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it, I hate to say it, it kind of pegged me. Dude, they always do. <laughs> they got it. it. Was. Yeah. Yeah. They nailed exactly what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, when I got to college, I just felt kind of that overwhelming sense of, um, wanting to help other people, but not knowing how to. And I think we all know where we are at 9-11, you know, I, when 9-11 happened. And uh, I, I think kind of that day going forward, and I know I was pretty small at that point, you know, I always wanted to do something great for people and protect them. Mm. Um, mm. Because that had a huge impact on me and my family, um, mm. especially watching it from the, from the West Coast. Uh, that, that's kind of where it all really stemmed from. And then it just grew more and more and more from there. Um, you know, and now I'm 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 where I'm at, and uh, sure. I even continue now to even put myself in other roles. You know, I'm involved in other companies like Battle Tested Security. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know why I always have to be putting myself in a position to <laughs> almost be harmed or something. But I feel like it's 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 my life's work is service to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's why that's why I was drawn to have you on. That's I agree with it. We talked about it off a line, but. Uh, it's worth mentioning that a lot of guys get stuck when they get out, you know, they get out and, and even if they don't, then, you know, they might not even have gotten damaged and they get out and they get, they get stuck and they get this, this anxiety or this hole and they don't even know what it is. And it took me a long time to realize, but, and I try to tell people now so that it's not too late when they know, but it's like you, it derives from your service to other people through an organization. You've been Absolutely. part of this organization that, that, was doing monumental good for the for the globe and whether you ever took the minute to sit down and recognize that or not um is irrelevant that's in you and 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 not to mention that's your archetype right yeah you're you're a protector that's what you do and then when you get out and you have nothing to protect and you have no um you know allies and squads or platoons you know to come into and you're missing the guys you realize that like a lot of that was just your service to other people can fill that void. And for me, that's what it became. I had to educate myself, but post-education, it became uh, service. Get on here, tell the stories, write the books, do what you got to do to pass on this knowledge to lift people up. Get on the social medias and go find your people where they're at and say, hey, listen, we can do this together. This is a doable thing. Um, and, and so I love that. Uh, I love that, that that's what you're doing because that's what we need more of. I try to bring guys like you on to show people these are guys that I know have been through it, have been through the rigors of war, uh, maybe arguably more than anybody else that, you know, that I know. And so if that's real and, and they're still finding a way, and, you know, despite the war and the experiences that they had to be successful, that's what I want to show people. Because if you never see somebody that looks like you succeed, maybe it, it is hard to, to keep that hope burning, right? So. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad that there's <laughs> platforms like your platform out there actually giving, you know, 
real life experience, real people to see, Hey, this is what we went through. You know, there, there, there aren't a lot of platforms nowadays. Um, you know, and I think people think it's just geared towards vets. I, I think, I think people can take a lot from this. Um, even if they're non-veteran, yeah, it's, it's veteran driven, but, um, I, I see this actually, your platform is great for what you're doing. Um, I love it. I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I mean, that, that does me good. And, and, you know, recently I've had more and more civilians, uh, reaching out or talking to, I've talked to multiple, uh, life coaches that have no military service whatsoever. Um, that are being moved by some of the stories of the warriors on the podcast and being moved by, uh, you know, I was able to get my, my interpreter Cameron out of, uh, Kabul, you know, I, I don't know how much I helped, but I was assisting along the way and, right. uh, and, and he's out and safe now and they were moved by that. And so I, I talked to some of them, you know, I interviewed with them and, and it's like, I, that's exactly what I want. Cause in the mission statement for my company, it's to bridge the military and civilian divide. Because if we can't bridge that, Congress controls the military. Congress is overly civilian right now. And if we can't bridge that divide to let these junior freshman congressmen and women understand that war is a real thing, you are insulated from it, but it is a real thing that we have to fully fund, uh, you know, at all times, even when it's not comfortable, even when we need to pinch pennies, it, that's not where you steal it from. This, these are lives. This is technology. This is you know, ultimately the fate of the Republic, this isn't where you borrow from. And, right. and if we, yeah. you know, if we can bridge that, that divide, then, then maybe we can move that closer to, to an even keel. And that's like the whole point, um, you know, outside of helping guys, I, I want to help, but I want to help on a macro and a micro level. I want to help the individual right. all the way up to the organizational level. So, um, love that, love that. So tell me, um, um, well, let's go back. Let's talk about your career a little bit as far as uh, not everybody gets to be a scout sniper. I mean, that's, um, that's a privilege. Uh, that's a privilege, in my opinion, to even be able to have that title. So, uh, yeah, it, um, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy how I even ended up in a scout sniper, but soon to tell you the truth. And, um, you know, not I hate to say everybody can do it, but it, it really is just a mindset mm -hmm. um, more, more than anything. You know, some people have physical abilities who are gifted physically to run friggin' amazing PFTs and CFTs and, and do all this crazy stuff. But mentally they're not gifted that, you know, they can't, mm. they can't hack it up here. Um, you know, the way I actually got into it, I was, it was really funny how I got into it. Um, they were holding an end doc and they said, Hey, anybody want to come out for it, come out to it. And this uh, is this, actually, this when you're in three, two, this is when I was in three, two Lima company. I was in a, uh, I was a machine gunner at the time. And, okay. uh, we were actually going out to a field op. We were doing a range. Um, I was sitting in the back, I forget where I was sitting. I think one of the medic trucks or something. I was reading Pat Tillman's, uh, book where men win glory mm. Actually, when that, when that got passed down to me and I was reading this and I was reading about, man, this dude just like, he passed up an opportunity with a million dollars for the fricking Seattle Seahawks. Yep. And he turns around and he goes and he's a, he's a fricking ranger. And I was like, it, I mean, it it's kinda, meant to be, <laughs> it's meant to be, man. It spoke to me. And I was like, that's it. I was Sergeant, get me in the end doc. Get yes. me in the end doc. So uh, yeah. a week later I was in the end doc and the rest was kind of history. So, yeah. Now, did you end up going school train? Uh, no, I didn't go school trained. Okay. Um, I didn't have that opportunity. What happened was, is I was going to come back to school train. And then I decided, you know, um, long story short here, you know, the ex-wife at the time, uh, said, you know, you got a family to think about, you know, you're already, you're running around playing uh, hero over here or whatever. We had it out a little bit. I was like, shit. All right. Um, okay. So 
I, I took my opportunity there, got out after five years and uh, was separated. Um, but, you know, would have been a great opportunity. Hey, no. Yeah. And, and no, no, <laughs> no disrespect to anybody that's not because it's not an easy school. It's not a lot of boat spaces no, to no. get into it. It's, you know, um, I had um, I had a school train guy, uh, Alex Tryon, one of my buddies, Alex Tryon on for an episode. Okay, yeah. And uh, and, you know, it's funny. Nobody wants to talk about in duck. Nobody wants to give the secrets away. And I love that because, like, you don't need yeah. to pre-flight this. You need to figure this out on your own. You yeah. know what I mean? And and that's something I've never even went to. I'm like, I, I can't even go. Just tell me. I, I won't even tell anybody. I just want to know. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, it's yeah. always fun to talk about, man. And uh, and I know that, uh, at least for me personally, when I was operating, man, anytime I had a 240 uh, or, or, or a sniper team overwatching me, it just – you know, just gives you that warm and fuzzy uh, feeling inside of, of that safety net, you know, so I always appreciated that. Oh, awesome, man. Yeah, it um, is. I mean, it's always a team effort. I mean, even people have our backs, we have their backs. Um, it takes a collective bunch. You know, there are no there are no one individuals out there saving the day. You know, it, it takes everybody communicating, shooting and moving. I mean, yep. you know that. Absolutely. And that goes right back to the importance of team building and team sports when we have younger children. So, um, all right. So after, uh, you know, I was, I was scanning through your social media, I'm looking at different things that you've done over the past months and, uh, and, uh, checking it out, but I came across the, uh, rallypoint.com, the, what the iron rally point, what you were doing with veterans as far as fitness. Can you get into that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, so it was about two years ago I started, uh, iron rally point.com. And it basically was free fitness. And because I was so tired of hearing about 3-2 and a lot of people who even moved on from 3-2 commit suicide. So when I I know you've heard, you've probably had more than we can even talk about on here. Um, One's too many. So, yeah. Yeah, one is enough, you know. And every year it would happen. And even in the law enforcement community, people I heard were, you know, committing suicide. And I go, something's up here. Something's got to be done. Hmm. and, you know, I at one point was on the verge of uh, th- that point. Um, I had a very low point when I got out. And one of my buddies, too, Zach Smith, we were rooming together, you know. And the one thing I really started to do was started to work out, work t- towards a goal. And I realized this crazy effect it had on me, right? Mm-hmm. So um, years go by, I start, you know, competing, physique, whatever. And then, it, you know, it hits me one day because I keep seeing these people at an alarming rate. Uh, just be unhealthy to their bodies, you know, self-medicating and just not figuring it out quite yet, fighting their demons. So I decided, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to do my part and, uh, you know, help people out the best way I know how possible, which was through fitness. Mm. So, you know, in that two-year time, and, and it might not seem like a lot, I had over 500, 600 people that I've, uh, you know, Seems got them like into it. Yeah, it was a lot for me single-handedly, just in a regimen, um, of working out, eating healthy, you know, I, you don't got to get jacked and lift weights and compete mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And bodybuilding, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about just being a little bit more healthier, you know, cause the better you feel, the better you look, the better you're going to feel. And it kind of takes a little bit of that anxiety off. Mm. Uh, so I was able to do that and connect with tons of veterans, you know, that way and, and, uh, help. And even if it was saving one person, like you said, that's all I need, that's you know, just one, just one person. Yep. I, I don't I don't care if it's one out of three years and I'm busting my ass. It's one person. Hell, it's one person. That's, That's one right. One person, one family not affected. That's right. Uh, and, and, but let me ask you this. You talk about 500 people. 
out of those 500 people, when they started to come around and they started to get their routine down, did they have a noticeable uplift in their mental health? Absolutely. Um, so I would say about 40%, 30 40. to 40% dead. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be honest, uh, fitness doesn't cure everything. No. It's just one piece of the puzzle. You that's know, right. and that's, that's right. Yeah, where I could I could fit in. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, so for 30, 40 percent of those people, they were news. They were noticing mood changes, a little bit more energy, um, a little bit more self renewal, renewal mm. and purpose. Mm. You know, their work ethic was a little better. Uh, you know, maybe they were just being better fathers and husbands, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whatever it may be. Some wives, you know, came to me with with some stuff that was going on. And uh, it, it overall increased just kind of their life in a, a very uh, broad spectrum of ways. Other Absolutely. Than just, yeah. Absolutely. That's uh, I mean, kudos, man. That's that's where it's at. And then when you see that and when you feel that um, the effects of that. That bigger than self. um motivation i guess uh and uh it's a blessing it's a blessing to be yeah, e- yeah. to even be able to help people is a blessing uh, right. and, and so okay so and then uh let's go back over to now with that are you still are you still helping are you still running that or now is it more more open right so remember it goes back to what you're doing bridging the gap between uh you know the civilian and kind of the veteran, mm-hmm. I, I noticed this, this, this is a, this is a friggin' national epidemic going on with mental health, mm-hmm. just not the veteran community. So mm-hmm. what I started mm-hmm. to do was use what I learned about veterans and what I know and apply it to civilians and say, Hey, I'm just not going to do veterans anymore. I'm going to help out civilians as well, you know, Absolutely. to get, you know, and I said, and there's this amazing effect that, cause we've been through the ringer mentally <laughs> who, who better to teach civilians um and i'm not saying we're better but we've been through so much yeah it's a different adversity that we would faced right yeah so we understand a little bit where they're coming from and when you know some be like hey listen we had it we had it pretty tough and i I think we have pretty cool stories to share with them and um yeah uh, advice so i started blending the two together and i just help as many people as possible as i can now um just trying to do my part that way hey man that's uh absolutely admirable and commendable i love it um, are you seeing a lot of, a lot of people still? Um, so I have focused, I'm still seeing a lot of people and it gets overwhelming. Sure. Um, but I don't like to divide myself up too much because I, I really want to concentrate on quality over quantity. Sure. And so if I'm helping someone, I really want to help that person. I mm-hmm. just don't want to give them a half-ass effort of mm-hmm. 70 percent you know they devote they they deserve my full undivided attention towards their health goal mental goal whatever it is Absolutely. so you know I, I i started to reel back a little bit and say hey i'm doing these people a disservice by helping too many at once so i help as many as i can at that time once they're off and flying i kind of influx some more people check but you you're seeing a constant flow and want for that information that knowledge right absolutely because i mean you see it out there there's so much uh there's so much BS out there about health mm. and fitness. Oh, dude, there's a lot. <laughs> it's confusing, and I don't blame people. I don't. It, it, it can be. It can be for sure. Now, let me ask you this. Let's dive into this a little bit. I agree that there's uh, – I agree with what you say that it's not just a uh, military service uh, problem with mental health. And I think mm-hmm. statistically 80% of us at some point are going to have a mental health crisis uh, you know, like according to the numbers, that's going to happen. So knowing that 80% of people are going to go through something tragic that causes mental health crisis, 
um, two things. One, we should be a whole lot nicer to our fellow person than what we see, both on social media and in person. Uh, Understand that people are going through it. And and just to, I got this one fly in my studio and I can't get him off my speaker. (laughs) Anyway, just knowing that that's going on, it sucks. But I, I try to draw back and say, okay, people that don't have PTSD, people that don't have, you know, traumatic brain injuries and horrible childhoods, why are they running into these you know, these at, at young ages, seemingly like that people, even our age are, are depressed a lot, like by and large and, um, talking to multiple different people. But it seems like to me that one of the most common answers that comes up is that people are no longer, uh, they're not chasing their dreams, right? People are in jobs that they don't like doing something that they're not passionate about and something that they do not look forward to when they get up in the morning. And that will cause depression 100%. If you're Absolutely. stuck in that system uh, or you feel like you're under the um, illusion that you are stuck in that system, then that can be very desperate. You feel like you're never going to get, you know, out. And do you think that that plays in a lot in the, in the you know, in the greater population of the United States? I, a- absolutely. Um, you know, people are miserable, miserable working jobs, uh, buying food. You know, I mean, they're working these long hours to buy this food that's going to make them unhealthy in the first place, you know, and they're just depressed. It's this vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people really have the stigma now of, you know, well, you know, I've been at this job and, and people really are afraid to take chances. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're afraid to t- actually take a chance on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've come to find out is, is that people think that they don't deserve better a lot of the time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You deserve better. They're like, well, you know, I, I should just be here. This is where I'm at. I don't, I don't deserve to be over there yet because X, Y, you know, whatever, A, B, C, and D. Um, and they tend to let all these, you know, external things around them control their lives, which they have no control over. Mm. And I, I think that the two things that people really need to take away to better themselves in their situation is like, A, you, you deserve to be happy. Like, don't think you don't deserve it. Mm. Uh, you, you deserve that. I don't know why people think that. If I admit, Ryan, if you figure it out, let me know, because that's huge. Why people think they don't deserve something, um, and, you know, and be I got people no answer. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm still I'm still trying to work on that one. I think everybody yeah. deserves everything that, that that they ever are willing to work and go get. If you're willing to get it, then then you, right. then you deserve it. But I, so maybe in that statement, if you're not willing to work for it, then you don't deserve it. Yeah, I think. I think maybe they're afraid of how great they actually can be Mm. and they're afraid of what that work entails. Uh, And I think a lot of times people are afraid of what if I'm good at it and it succeeds, what does that mean? Does that mean I move? Does that mean, what does that mean? You know what I mean? And it's like, ah, you get one time, you get one chance. I know. I know. You got to go now. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are, you know, we're so locked in in life of just like, Hey, um, a plus B equals C. That's just how we work is mm. we love patterns as humans, you know, this happens. So this happens. So we're afraid to take chances when a plus B, we have no clue what it's going to equal. We get scared, but yeah. we know it's going to equal something good. Oh yeah. Um, and I know, think, I think inevitably when people do, um, uh, one of my mentors says, you know, don't be afraid to leave the shore when yeah. you're not afraid to leave the shore and go out into that, the vast blue on your chance and bet on yourself at least one thing I guarantee you is going to happen. You're going to find yourself. You're going to find yourself somewhere. 
I don't know where that's going to be. Maybe you're going to find yourself as a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. Maybe you're going to start your own entrepreneurship, uh, you know, that day. Maybe you're going to end up finding yourself in the middle of the biggest dream you ever had. But you will find some things out about yourself when you when you leave the shore. And, and yeah. 80 to 90 percent of the people that I talk to, when they take that chance, something great happens. It, it, mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to, like you said before, you have to be willing to bet on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to condition yourself to be willing to bet on yourself. You need to get right mentally. You need to get right with your health. You need to get right with the way you eat and with your workout regimen. And then you need to bet on yourself and go full steam ahead. Um, that, that, absolutely. I, yeah. I absolutely. And it's just, it, it's, uh, people are so negative, you know, mm-hmm. that negative. I mean, um, I'm a big believer in actually, you know, bringing stuff into your life, just being positive about mm-hmm. things. Even if you don't fully believe that that shit is going to happen. I'm going to win a million dollars. But if you know, man, I'm putting in the work, I'm being positive about it. Yeah, you might not make a million dollars. You might end up with 200,000 or 100,000 for all that good work. That is still something positive. And you're going to end up happier. I guarantee you that. The last thing you want to do is look back on your life and think about what could have been. You know, like what if, what if when I heard that podcast, I made an action plan that day? Yeah and launched my life in a different direction. You don't want to think that 30 years from now. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. You, you get one chance. You're not coming back around for a second time. You've got to make your action plans and go. Um, I see a lot of people kind of gravitate towards coaching. What's your thought on that? Uh, coaching for... Like life coaches oh, and, and life these coaches? deep wealth coaches. You think that's just more for motivation and and um, and like, or do you think people are reaching out just like a coach for working out and they need that disciplined person in their ear telling them, hey, we got this, you know, as a reinforcement? Right. Yeah, I, I think that, that, man, that's a tough question, right? <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of motivational coaches out there um, that are just that motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know there's a huge difference between motivation and discipline. 100%. Uh, motivation isn't going to be there all the friggin' time. Motiv- motivation is just a feeling. That's all it really is. Yep. Uh, discipline is really what we want to bring out in people. You know, motivation 100%. helps times, you know what I mean? But but discipline really is that skill set we're looking towards. Um, but why, you know, why people are going towards coaching, um, I'll be 100% honest here. I've, I've, and I'm not going to name any names because I don't do that. It's not the person I am. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've seen I've seen coaches out there that aren't very good at what they do, um, and they just motivate. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. it's pretty easy to motivate and, and say, oh, you're doing a great job and be a cheerleader. But it's also, if you really want to be a good coach and a great coach, it's having those tough talks with people. Yep, being real. You know, and saying, hey, you got to get your ass in gear. Let's find out why you're failing. Yep. Tell me what's going on, you know? Yep, absolutely. No, and I think that those do exist as well. I think there are good coaches <laughs> out there. Um, absolutely. Um, but, like, it seems like every time I open an Instagram or a Twitter or, you know, a social media that it's inundated with coach, 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 coach. And, um, and I hope they're all – I hope that they're all doing well and getting their people where they want to go. I just – it's it's – it's something I see all the time, so I wanted to ask about yeah, it because I didn't actually yeah, understand I, it. I think too that they recognize that the market really saturated with maybe a little mental like anxiety and all these mental things going on with people, mm-hmm. and they're kind of taking advantage of it. Uh, I think, yeah. So that you know, because be. it's for, a lot of them right now, and it's like some of them are probably real and doing great things. Some yeah. of them are probably opportunistic uh, 
the entrepreneurs saying, hey, this is a trend. We can get in this right now and double up or whatever and then, you know, jump into it. Um, right. Odd. Yeah. So talk to me about being uh, being a police officer. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, being in law enforcement definitely is interesting. Um, you know, when I was in Florida, I was down there um, pretty much I was street beat down there working mm-hmm. patrol. Mm-hmm. Came up to Michigan. Um, you know, now more my role is investigations for tobacco crimes. Okay. Um, I'd love I'd love to get in on the drug side and uh, hopefully the weapons side federally someday. Like uh, ATF? Yeah. That what yeah. you're looking towards? Yeah, looking to go federal. Um, you know, if that opportunity arises. Well, you never I think know. that there's like a pandemic of fentanyl coming across our border right now. They're probably looking for all the people they can get. And if they're not, yeah. that would be sneakily suspicious to me. Yeah, yeah. I was actually talking to one of our, um, uh, you know, one of a uh, an agent yesterday because we had to go through a certain warehouse. I can't really make it public, but we mm-hmm. had to go through a warehouse, do some investigations there. And yeah, they're always hiring and we're always they're always in the need for bodies. So it's out yeah. there. Yeah. Man. Um, yeah. But I mean, to answer your question, as far as being, um, you know, a cop or being in law enforcement, it's uh you know, man, it's really taken a turn, hasn't it? <laughs> it's uh, that's why I asked. My little brother is a police officer up in Ohio, and um, it's uncomfortable for me to have a little brother being a police officer sometimes. You know, I bet. Uh, so it's I like bet. I wanted to know what the dynamic was for you. I mean, you come, you were in Florida, so you know, and I don't know what crimes like in Florida, but it seems like maybe it's not always on the news. So maybe it's not always, you know. Yeah, it's it's a lot of domestic violence. Um, a lot of drunks, uh, yeah. you know, um, assaults, um, nothing, nothing too crazy, but you know, really the most dangerous thing, like your brother was saying is, is anytime you got to stop somebody mm-hmm. in a car, that uh, those are the most dangerous stops. Ever. Now, see, he Here. hasn't done that yet. Uh, thank God. Like I'm so happy, but he, he's yeah. gone through all the courses, all the, all the, everything in Ohio. Um, I want to say you have to, you have to do like a certain number of years in the jail and so he's been in the jail for a while now. I think he can come okay. out, but uh, but he 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 deals mainly with the inmates once they're once they're in and, and and things like that. But he wants to be out on the street, and I'm like, and that's what makes me nervous. Like, man, stay man. in there, stay in there, don't go out there. Man, more, I, I got a I got a really good friend who's in corrections, and I would not swap with him any day of the week. No, it's it's it's, it's just as bad. Can't be armed. I'm like. Forget that, man. That's okay, so maybe I want him back out on the streets. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't make me feel good, man. And like I, the way I, I feel, I feel like our law enforcement right now, as needed and, and as absolute imperative as they are in every uh, small and big city around the nation, um, I feel like they have a bad rap right now. I feel like they get yeah. strung up the flagpole for almost anything that the media can get their hands on. doesn't really matter as long as they can hate on some cops and hate on some law enforcement. One thing I would note is, uh, you know, Jocko Willinks on his podcast a lot of times talks about how he thinks uh, law enforcement should be training 20% of their work week. And everybody mm-hmm. says, oh, well, that's impossible. But it's like, hang on a second. So you do one annual training shoot if you're an on-the-beat cop in most places – Outside of that, if you're not going on your own time and shooting your sidearm, you're not getting anything. You're definitely not getting any kind of uh, up-tempo VO2 max, get them, get them winded, and then take somebody and try to de-escalate a situation so you don't have to kill somebody. If you're not doing that all the time, then how could we, how could we expect them uh, to make these bang-bang decisions correctly? 
and I'm and I'm not and I'm not saying that yeah. it's okay. I'm saying that when you look at us and you say, "Oh, well, that's just impossible." It's like, no, that's not okay. This is what needs to happen, and you need to figure out how many more people you need to hire. So, how many more millions of dollars can we fund you to make this happen? Because that is the answer, and that's not me. That's Jocko, but I completely endorse that. Completely support it. I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying, and I think that. Um, there, there's an even epidemic in law enforcement for being friggin' out of shape mm. and, and not being, I, I see it all the time. I'm not going to mm-hmm. name names. I'm not going to name states. Well, I'm you could just name- say every state and every PD on ever right now. Yeah. Everyone that's open right now, because there's not a place that I go where I don't see cops where I'm like, mm, I get out. Yeah. I get outrun you. Yeah. I get outrun oh, you. You're going to have to shoot me. Yeah. You think, you think <laughs> bad guys don't know that, man? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, man. that's. It, 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 it just freaking is well, and then you, and then like, what do their partners think? Like, because if you're my partner, I don't, I don't care what world we're in, civilian world, uh, military world. If you're my partner, and I think that you're starting to get to a point where maybe you couldn't aid me at your best possible ability, I'm be like, hey, dude, uh, what's going on? Like, you need to talk? Is there something going? Like, you're yeah. getting fat, or yeah. you're getting slow, or whatever the case may be, or you're not showing up on time, or maybe you're drinking too much, you stink like booze or whatever. But there yeah. should be some some accountability going all different directions, and it seems like every PD has this issue. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 100%. And I think, you know, a little bit of that PC world is creeping in to mm. our departments mm. to where we can't vocally speak out, and there can be some solid leadership in there. Would there be act- repercussion if you were to tell your partner he was fat and he needed to hit the gym so he could better support the you know law enforcement effort? Uh, I don't know. I haven't tried it because I've never had partners that. Okay, okay, <laughs> Roger. I'm just saying, have, we, have we gotten to that point where we can't even tell I, our partners, like, hey, dude, let's I go? Think, I think so, honestly. Oh, okay. uh, I, honest, I really, really do think that's the thing. And I'm at the point now where I say, you know what? This is what we need to do. Up police, up police salaries significantly and just take the best of the best. Fine. You don't want to train? That's cool. We'll get the best of the best Gone. out there. And it's going to be a privilege now to be an officer mm. because we're going to pay you to do a great job. You know, Money is always a great incentive. No, money is a great incentive. Here's the thing I fear with first responders, police officers, teachers, and military. If you put too high of a ticket on it, you're going to be bringing people that are not that archetype in to try to pretend that they're arche- that archetype so that they can get a paycheck. If you're not a protector and then you get in a gunfight, there's a great chance that you're not going to do anything. Uh, right. And, that's and what bothers that me. Vetting, right. And hopefully the vetting process goes well. I'm kind of sure, thinking sure. on the vetting process, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, they I need mean, to be but, paid more, a hundred percent, dude. And, and 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 maybe that's it. Maybe you make it a privilege, and then you hold them to that. Yeah, you're going to get paid, but you must do all of this annually. You must do all of this weekly, biweekly, whatever it is, you know. And we set that training yeah. standard up. Here's another thing, like in the, I know we can't, you know, or we don't do this in the civilian world and the police department stuff like that. But in the Marine Corps, when there's an incident, like. I was to murder a bunch of people or murder one person in country. It's not just me that goes down. My entire chain of command goes down, probably all the way up to the battalion commander who's got 20 years in as an officer and is looking at a sure, uh, you know, six digits with a comma involved retirement. No problem going on to a board seat. That's what he's looking at. And he's going to go down when I do that. Now, Mm -hmm. if we had police chiefs every single time they had, uh, Cops that were ruled that they were brutal or, 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 or you know, guilty of, of bad shootings, uh, 
you bet your ass they'd start self-policing a lot of that stuff if they, if their pensions was on the line. But oh, they're not. Absolutely. Right? So, absolutely. And, and then you got and then you got to figure like the, the police union's probably like one of the oldest unions in uh, the country. And yeah. so, and, and you know, and then it's this protection game, you know, and so it's like, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I do think that training 20% of your work week in these hostile or these high um, combative stop-like procedures will get them used to that muscle memory and that calm sense to make the right calculated decisions because it's just like anything else. Like if you're going to ground fight or you're in the Marine Corps, you're going to go ground fight. Yeah, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to get choked out a lot, but you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn how to breathe, how to breathe better, how to move slower, how to be methodical with your actions. It's the same thing with anything, enough repetition, and, and you can really hone in on what that is. So if let's say for that you know, that one Saturday a month that you have to work eight hours in training, you did, you know, 37 hostile takedowns of somebody coming out hostile out of a traffic stop to you, then my guess is, not my guess, it's 100% certified that your next traffic stop where something goes bad, you're going to be 35 times better than you were before you did that training. And now if we do that training every week, that's going to drastically lower the negative incidents that are uncalled for, in my opinion. And, and, and Jocko, Jocko's, like I said, all, all uh, hats off to him, but I completely endorse and completely agree that that would help. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to get yeah, your I know. And, and, yeah. And it's, 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 it's tough because I think us as military uh, leaders and veterans see how the training should be going. But as soon as you mentioned military and something that's a civilian job, people tend to shy away from it. But mm. I 100% agree with you and Jocko. I think it really would do some well. I think yeah, it would think really, it yeah. And like, yeah, I, I guess we beat that dead horse. But, yeah. I, dude, my hat's off. I love I love the law enforcement. I, I, I love the, the protection. I love that I can be, you know, at my house and not worry that somebody's coming and, and know that if something happens that, you know, help is on the way. I love that. So, yeah. Um, and I appreciate that from you, and I appreciate that service from you. Um, let's talk more about uh, your time supporting uh, 3-2 in Afghanistan, like 10-12 area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, let's just get into SIG events from there, because I was never up in that area. You know, I was down in Marja and then, like, Treknawa area, um, okay. and you guys were a little bit away from that, right? Yeah, we were up in uh, Nowzad, mostly Nauzad, hanging correct. out around Nowzad in that area. I mean, we might head, you know, whatever, 20, 30 clicks, northeast, southwest, depending on what we had that day. Yeah, you yeah. know, we were always we were always in that area. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it it was very different um, because it was my first combat deployment. Mm. You know, I, I felt like, you know, how you trained all your time and you were just pissed off, man, because it's like, man, I trained. I'm a killer. I kill. This is what they trained me to do to kill the enemy effectively and efficiently. Hmm. So, you know, we finally, last deployment, um, first combat deployment, I really didn't know what to expect, uh, to tell you the truth. Nobody um, does, I don't think. No, you, you find yourself, like you said. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what was really uh, significant, I mean, what was really crazy over there, and you got to respect your enemy. Um, a lot of people didn't respect their enemy. Um, these guys train in altitudes. They're hmm. skinny. I mean, they're war fighters too. I mean, oh, they've yeah. been doing it for years and years and years. Not you're an educated guy. You know all about the history and what they've. Yeah, how since birth, them. their cities are made for war. Still, so absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's no one going to overtake that place. Um, we had it. We did a hell of a job 
screwing them up though. You know, <laughs> we, arranged, we arranged some meetings. Loop. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But yeah, um, it was it was a big eye opener for me. Um, we ran into a lead a lot of uh, IEDs. Mm. You know, uh, a lot more IEDs. I mean, yeah, you get into your your good gunfight every now and again with some you know with some some bad guys, bad actors over there. But we were losing guys, you know, limbs, IEDs all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, I think that was really their main uh, purpose was just defeat us like that. I mean, they they were pretty brutal. I think they they mostly wanted to wound, not kill. Maybe they most, yeah. they really wanted, you know, they got. Well, I mean, if you think die. about that's what I mean. You're a sniper. Uh, age old wound the guy wait till his team comes yeah. out on the with the litter and then you piling up a team and then a squad has to t- has to remove a team and and eventually they stop coming but if you're thinking like you turn the map around yeah i'm gonna blow him up right here i'm gonna you know put secondaries all the way around it that right, way yeah. when the help comes we know help's gonna come and um you know we gotta we gotta do our best as a warfighting element to try to not make patterns and not set you know TTPs right. that they can track. But sometimes it just is what it is. So, right. um, I know yeah. when I was in Marja, they used um, ammonium nitrate and aluminum, and they called it anal. And that stuff was, I mean, just just ripping trucks uh, to pieces and limbs, uh, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, brutal. So you were you, you guys. In Nowzad, we're more concerned about if you were to put a one and a two, it would be one IEDs, two gunfight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah a- a- absolutely. Um, especially after we took our first casualty, um, uh, Mark. You know uh, that that was that was really tough um, for us in three two because to have you know an operator like that and he you know just step on an IED at night. Um, to take one of the great guys out who's overwatching you all the time kind of sent a yeah, I felt like they sent a message over there. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were noticing patterns. Um, they were developing intel daily mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and and was anybody else hurting that in that IED? Uh, physically, no. Mentally, yeah. Well, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but physically, he was he was one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he he eventually came to his wounds. I mean, he was gone from the from the waist down. You know, uh, they did his best. Um, I think he I think they flew him out to Germany, uh, I believe, and then had his family come out, and then he, he passed out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Bradley, and then you know, as sad as as it is, man, it has effects on families. His his brother, um, Steve. Uh, you fast forward to probably two years ago, died of drug overdose. So. Um, you know, that's the ever, one, yeah. yeah, it's, it's the, the ripple effect of war. Yeah, it, it, it impacts exactly. But yeah. Um, and then we had another guy, uh, you know, he's just sweeping a, a compound pressure plate, took his leg, Kevin Hanrahan, um, Steve Tillman, same thing happened. Uh, I know we engaged in numerous firefights when we we're guarding one, uh, one base we were actually building and Peter Clore, he was actually our dog handler. Okay, and uh, you know we we tried to set up an ambush over there um, by sending you know some of the O three you know elevens out. We're just going to march them right down the middle, see them pop up, take them out from there, see if we could do something like that because they were just they were shelling us all day and night. We really yeah. couldn't get a fix on them. Um, 
come to find out they're putting ice cubes in their mortar tubes yep. and just leave them, let them melt. You know how that goes. Yeah, no, genius though. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, I heard those and TTPs you know, come down after we came home. I don't know that we ever faced it, but I heard them. I heard them putting ice in the tubes and the mortar, what, the mortar round on top. So as soon yeah, as it, yeah. it's hitting, you know, genius. Yeah. It is genius. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, in um, in Iraq, uh, I think it was six, no, it was seven. I was in Iraq, and they would take uh, 107 millimeter Chinese rockets and set them on PVC pipe ramps in the open desert with like a sandbag or two, and just Kentucky windage it. And they they would use uh, old school bell alarm clocks, 12 hour alarm alarm clocks, uh-huh. and they set it for 12 hours. And as soon as that bell rang, the rocket would take off. So our counter battery would go out there. There's nothing there. You know what I mean? Genius. Uh-huh. Genius. Yeah. Yeah, they maybe not genius. Guy. Like a lot of them, a lot of them had to die to learn what counter battery was and how quickly we could get rounds back on them. But once they learned, and you know, they're, yeah. they're resourceful people. Yeah, I, I wonder how many of them uh, it took <laughs> to actually get that right. <laughs> yeah, know, I but. know. I don't know. You imagine they just started with twelve hours. Like, dude, we're not even going to yeah. try three hours. It's just twelve's good. All right, we're dude. I had to do a counter battery <laughs> mission in uh, Rawa. Uh, in Iraq and it was like maybe the sketchiest mission ever because recon had put like um like a stone out there that was a camera and it was watching the mm-hmm. cave entrance well then we took Chinese 107s from that direction so they sent me and my squad out there uh to go retrieve the camera for for them and check the cave and I'm like oh that's great you know that's because they said the camera's batteries died or something right I'm like so I get there and the cave entrance is like the size of my monitor it's like you know 38 inches and it's just like an oval hole like this very sketchy and i'm like oh man so we retrieve the rock and everything and i go crawling into this hole you know like with my m4 i had to strip my gear off to get through it and i get in there and there's like goats living in there they have a pen in there there's like tea cooking you know you know like somebody had just left there was multiple like little cots lined up and it's just a hole that i crawled into in the ground it was yeah. insane. I never they, they had like a bathroom area in there, so it smelled horrible. But, um, but they were living in the ground in this hollowed out hole. I couldn't believe it. Nobody was there. I didn't find anybody. Um, but but definitely yeah. crawling through that opening is not. That wasn't the funnest thing to do. No, no, it reminds me of platoon a little bit. Yeah, it's like a nom situation. Just like <laughs> came through with my gun. Like oh yeah, my god, right. please nobody be in here. I wanted to Ooh, frag it. They wouldn't let me. I'm like, let's oh, just frag this. Yeah. Just frag it and be done. You know, it'll That's bury right. him. Call it a day. Call it a day. No, it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what what kind of uh, so, so I know you got in firefights, but you're saying that the the main threat and now that is going to be we're going to label that as IEDs, especially after some of your guys start getting knocked down and and uh, and taken out. Were you ever in um, significant gunfights where you're moving on them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that was one too where we were actually getting just. I mean, we were getting shelled the shit out of. Uh, we were watching, I believe it, oh, man, if I can remember the base's name, was it Rogers? It was another, uh, you know, outpost we were setting up over watching. And, you know, once they just started showing us, they started moving in on their, you know, their little Hondas or whatever the hell they have over there now, their little trucks. Mm-hmm. And we were, taking, we were taking shell gunfire for about, I'd probably say an hour, you know, and that, for anybody, that's a long time. Is that, uh, were they throwing 82s at you guys? Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, they even had some discos out there. I mean, it was they, they were ready to – they did not want us moving in. You know, mm-hmm. neighbors don't want you as neighbors. Yeah, you know? yeah, they, they weren't happy. 
Yeah, they were not happy at all. And, and that was especially, we found out later on with some intel, is that they actually had an arms cache not too far from there, a click. So, you know, I think we kind of got a little lucky building it there. Uh, yeah, we yeah. didn't know what we were, what real estate we were building on, but we, we kind of knew. Um, uh-huh. That really was the biggest one that happened. Uh, during that time, we had uh, several of our scout snipers actually get hit. We had Hanley, he got hit in the thigh, Probst, he got... He got hit in the thigh too, um, so we had to call a bird and get them out of there. You know, run up a nine line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, did you go? You guys made movement on this on these people? Uh, no, we we actually stayed put. So you were um, stagnant, just fighting it out with them. Oh yeah, we were oh, stagnant yeah. at that point. Um, we wanted to head out that way, but we couldn't figure out exactly where the main direction of fire was coming, in and then just leave us, you know, flanked or yeah, yeah. Where our ass now, did open. you guys bring? You bring IDF in? Uh, like indirect nope. fires or air or yeah absolutely um so that took a while that actually took till the uh the evening to get online with that but oh, wow. eventually yeah we pulled out some grids and we, we took care of that yeah outstanding that dish is something else man when it starts rocking uh oh, it doesn't man. matter where you're at you can tell it's not your own because it sounds different and you know it's still big <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it's still huge it's uh it, it'll scare you, man, especially if you've never heard one before. My first turn, I'm, what the hell is that? Yeah, you know, dude. I, <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, all right. That's the same uh, with um. That's the same with that little minigun, that little thirty cal that they have on like the gunships on the Cobras and stuff. If you've no, never yeah. heard that gal go off, it can paralyze you. Just the yeah. first time, bah, they see that thing go. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those. Okay. Dishka uh-huh. was that way too. Now, did you guys face any recoilless rifles or uh, or the um? Uh, I talked to leaders, uh, Jeremy, mutual friend, and he talked about uh, they had the little thumper, the little handheld 40, yeah. 40 oh, mic yeah. mics, and they were fa- like the enemy had them. And I'm like, what? Yeah. They didn't have yeah. the, like, well, if they had them in Marja, uh, I didn't see them. I, yeah. I, didn't I mean, periodically they would just walk around and just boop, pop them off, you know, just and popping they, them off they, from the city towards you guys. Yeah. Just, I, apparently just to get our reaction and see how we operated mm-hmm. like just you just know? probing to see what your, what your steps right. are going to be mm-hmm. yeah so sometimes Smart. we had to know when not to react and react like let's just sit tight on this i don't want to we don't yeah, want for tip. sure i know that um like after the first maybe five or six days of the invasion they understood that when smoke was on the ground they had hurt somebody right <laughs> Because a chopper right. would come pick somebody up. So as soon right. as they'd see smoke, they'd intensify their fire and try to shoot birds down. And so it's like, okay, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to change our marking and our in our methods here before too right. long. And yeah. then, you know, we got uh ICOM chatter, you know, I'm sure you guys got some ICOM chatter over there and you would hear what yeah. they were doing, counting your guys out and counting your guys back in and stuff like that. It's kinda crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was thank God for ICOM too. We were we were in a we were in a compound once where we thought, oh, man, no one's no one's going to find us here, you know? Mm. Nope, ICOM, you got 30 inbound. Oh, my God. All up for cat, get us out of here. We just got out of there in just the nick of time, man. They the trucks just, just came, yoked you up? Yep, yoked us up. Yeah, they, they – yeah. Eh, eh. Yeah, dude, that's that, well. It's always comforting when the cavalry's come in with two forties and marks on top of their, yeah. you know, and fifties on top of their roof. It's like, okay, we're just hunker in, boys. They'll take care of it. Yeah, we'll yeah. Be and okay. I mean, exactly. I said, just sit tight, man. Let let the heavy guns do all the lifting here. I mean, because it, it's it's hard to actually be concealed out there. It's their backyard. Dude, it is. They know everything you're about to that walk area. Around at night, they know where you're at. By five hours goes by, you, trust me, you're. 
Yeah. You're compromised. You're compromised. Yeah, dude. Especially if you're at that time, because at that time you had some really good fighters, like hardened fighters. And then we even had um, all through that area at that, at that same timeline, we had uh, mercenaries coming in from um, Chechnya and Iran and Pakistan and all these different people coming in. And the only reason I know that is because I've seen it with my own eyes. A couple of the people we killed with HIMARS had um, foreign fighter cards. Like on the back was Pashtun Wali, yeah. and on the front would be either Pakistani uh. or Iranian or Czech or whatever. So this guy would give a handler this card. The guy would turn it around, read it, understand where he's supposed to put him in at, and then usher him to that place. Either yeah. he's an IED guy or he's a sniper, he's a whatever. And um, that was the one time in my career where I got to see intelligence come back. Like it went up and came back like, hey, this is what we figured out. And that oh, was pretty okay. cool. Pretty cool about yeah. that. So. Yeah, those. Uh, but yeah, at that time, those people wanted to fight. Like a lot of them were warriors. They just wanted to get after it. So. Yeah, guns for hire. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, gosh, what do we be? We've been going here for about an hour. So, what? Um, if you could give advice to, and I don't even want to put it service member, uh, you know, specific, advice to people who find themselves stuck in that rut that we were speaking to. Uh, a little bit earlier if you could take a couple minutes and address them directly and say you know give give them give them your little two cents on how to get an action plan together man uh yeah that's that's tough um you know if if i had to give advice to someone who's who's really in that right you know i i would say get a goal i want you to pick any goal out it could be any goal. It could be start small. You do not have to start with these huge goals, whether it's your career or whatever. You don't have to aim for freaking CEO. You know, you could aim for uh, the next position up or maybe a $3,000 pay, you know, whatever it may be. Mm. I, and the one thing I would say, you know, if you, when you're in that rut, we tend to look at the huge mountain. We tend to look at the top where we should be rather than that first step that we need to take. And if we keep looking at the top, why we're taking all these, these steps forward, you know, that top really doesn't get any, any closer to us during those first couple steps. Mm. So really, really look at, um, if you're going to break down what you want to do to get out of that rut is one day at a time, small steps, even if it's a day, like, listen, my goal today is to wake up at six in the morning. That could be freaking it, man. That is it. That is your main goal. Make it your goal, Mm. you know? Just small little actionable steps every time. Um, that would be number one. It don't don't look at the huge goal because I, I, I think people just get so overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, yep. Just with this huge thing of life and where we're supposed to be and, and we should be here by now and what am I doing and you know they look at like I should be a house I should have a home right now because I'm 35 years old and so and so does you know don't worry about that you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're doing the best you can do right now take the small steps just worry about that one step mm. you know um, you know second thing I would I would say is find someone to hold you accountable someone who actually cares mm. you know or reach out for help uh, one of the one of the two sit down and, and, and talk to somebody and have that person hold you accountable check in Absolutely. on you. You know, because you can't do it by yourself. I certainly didn't do it by myself. Um, you know, it, it's very tough to go through that alone. And I think you need to have someone by your side or at least checking in on you, helping you out and holding you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so I guess overall what I'm trying to say is don't look at the big picture. I know that seems kind of counterproductive. Think a little bit smaller, you know, one day at a time, just small little wins. And these small little wins, I swear to God, man, they'll make you feel so good. Absolutely. They, Absolutely. Have you have you have you read the um, the book Atomic Habits by James Cleary? Uh, I have not. You're I like not. speaking it. it. You're like speaking it. That's like a lot of the premises setting okay. up setting up small uh, either uh, roadblocks or freeways to good or bad habits and like taking small bites. Something I tell my kids mainly like they don't have an overwhelming life, but when they have to clean their room and they're going to get in trouble if it's not clean, that seems overwhelming to them. And they're still young, so we'll let it be. But I always tell them, look, man, like, how do you even how do you eat an elephant? If you looked at the whole elephant and you had a fork in your hand and you're looking at how much you got to eat this whole time, it's like, oh, it's never going to go away. But if you focus on one bite at a time. And so I say, yeah. you know, you got your trash bite, you got your laundry bite, you got your toy mm-hmm. bite. Focus on one bite at a time and you can get through anything. But yeah. you got to start at a bite at a time. You have to make your action plan, and it has to be something realistic, and um, and absolutely achievable. Yes, it can't yeah. be. It can't be. Uh, what's your goal? Be an astronaut. Cool. There's a lot of steps that we got to identify <laughs> and then work between here and being an astronaut. So yeah, being an astronaut that's overwhelming. But when it starts with get good grades, eat healthy, get some fitness, got to stay in shape, get good grades in college stay healthy, stay in shape, apply to NASA. Like when you break it down, you can get there. Oh yeah. Just don't look at the elephant while you're taking the first bite. So at, I feel you. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're, we are own worst enemies when it comes to that. We get in our own heads, we get in our own ways. It's nobody. Yeah. A lot of the times it's no one's fault, but our own. And I understand there are special situations out there with people who are um, probably not in the best economic situations or maybe health already. And they, they really can't do that yet. Mm. But even from that standpoint, you still can take small steps to get out of that. Hundred percent. I mean, you could get up every day and um and like make your bed. Yeah, they said make your bed. Uh, be nice. <laughs> be nice to your fellow human being. Raise your kids to the best of your ability. You know, challenge yourself to learn at least one new thing every day. Right. I'm, I'm Absolutely. A, I'm a big preacher of wanting people to read. You can gain so much knowledge by reading. Um, of experiences that you've not yet had the opportunity to experience. So uh, I like that too. Sean, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you joining me. I think the talk was great. Um, and I look forward to more um, more in the future if that's something yeah. that we can put together for sure. Uh, if you guys aren't following Sean Waterman, you need to be following Sean Waterman. If it's just for a uh, daily dose of discipline and motivation, if it's uh, just for a daily dose of somebody who is a, a good human being that's trying to bring light to a darkened place um, or a somewhat dampened place right now, uh, somebody that anytime I go to his social media, I walk away either thinking or smiling. So that's uh, somebody you need to hit that follow button on. I'll make sure I tag you uh, in all the releases, Sean, and then I'll also uh, have all of your information where people can find you um, in the link in description. And so we can get more of the goodness going around. Uh, so I absolutely, man. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to blast out this platform right here. You know, your podcast that people need more of this. I, um, I think they really, I appreciate all that, Sean. And I appreciate uh, the talk today. Let's, uh, let's do it again in the future, man. Awesome. I appreciate it, Ryan. Well, that concludes this episode. Thanks for listening to choices, not chances podcast. Please share, like, and subscribe wherever you listen or watch our podcast. You can also follow us on social media at Choices Not Chances Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.
Louisiana Gun Shop, your firearm headquarters, specializing in concealed carry guns, ammo, and training. You can get your Louisiana permit with us. Also, a large selection of AR-15s, or if you are that build-it-yourself type of guy or gal, we have all the parts to build and customize your own AR-15. Glock, Sig, Taurus, Ruger. We have all the brands, both in the store or at louisianagunshop.com. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's plenty. Good shot. Yeah. Plenty.